come from? Gentlemen, do you realize what we've found? It came from outer space to fill the world with terror. What earthly power can stop this terror? That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop. The from outer space. Press the red button and fire the nukes. And once again, it's the podcast from outer space. With your boy Rob Scott, we got Adam Narlock, aka Teabag, aka Doctor A, in the house tonight. Hey guys, thanks for listening. And as always, it's Ryan Scott. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. Been a long time, long time, and we're back for episode fifty-nine, where we're talking about none other than the Manhattan Project, boys. Manhattan, want to take me with you? Yep, get the big daddy jokes out. <laughs> Right out front, get him out. Now, uh, okay, Manhattan Project. Let's talk about this, guys, because... It happened nowhere near Manhattan. Yeah, well, there is some theories out there. Now, Manhattan Project, for those of you who missed history class that day... Who had to go to the bathroom every day. Yes, this was a scientific undertaking during World War II, headed up by the United States, and the results of said project would go on to produce the first nuclear weapons. Are they now, still teaching this in school? No, I believe they are. I learned it in school. Did you guys not? Uh, I don't remember yeah, that. I, I don't think so. I think watching like the History Channel I must stuff. have been in the bathroom that day. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll get to that. So the Manhattan Project officially began in 1939 and would grow to employ more than 130,000 people, costing nearly $2 billion, which is about $23 billion in today's money. Now, research and production took place in more than 30 sites across the U.S., the United Kingdom, and Canada, and the results of this undertaking, along with the men and women involved, would change the course of humanity and history forever. Now, what do do we know? Any history buffs in the room tonight? What do we know about the Manhattan Project? You guys both said you missed the lesson (laughs) in school? I think I did. Uh... I just basically know the basics of it, you know, uh, some nuclear testing, some nuclear bombs, <laughs> some <Okay>. little boys. <laughs> Which is great because I feel like you put T-Bags, TLDL, like right up at the top. Oh, and I no, think no, that's no. pretty much all he knows about is what you just said. No, the TLDL comes at the very end. Okay. Well, I think this is a very nice summary. I'm Let's save it till the there. very okay. end. But yeah, we wanted to get to this episode because... I mean, I mean, this is steeped in. Uh, I, you guys have heard of this, correct? Yeah, nuclear arms race. Yeah, nuclear okay. bombs. And boys, this is Batman. steeped in a lot of conspiracy theory lore. Like we couldn't get to a lot of episodes without covering this first. I mean, this is just as linked in with like uh, Jack Parsons. You remember we talked a lot about that mm-hmm. rocket I science. Yes, I did. Um, go check out that episode if you know nothing of that. And then get back to us as this takes place, uh, you know, a few years uh, after. A little overlap there with Jack Parsons' saga. Um, But honestly, you know, as we get into this, basically, this story is like a giant umbrella. And it's filled with smaller, crazy stories. I mean, as I'm going through this stuff, I'm like, oh, this is an episode in itself. This is an episode in itself. Every story underlying the Manhattan Project could be an entire episode. Mm. I mean, we got numerous operations, and as we said, it's these events that ultimately decide the course of, of history in a major way. Am I right? No, am I right in that? 
Now, I wanted to discuss this because, like, the whole conspiracy aspect. You know how people say, like, um, oh, the moon landing. Like, they can never fake that. Not that I'm condoning that the moon landing was fake. I'm just saying that's an example. Well, it sounds like you're condoning it. <laughs> it could potentially be filmed in a Hollywood basement. Yeah. Okay. And if you listen to Red Hot Chili Peppers, maybe that's what you think. So, like, people say, like, oh, JFK assassination, 9-11. The government can never do this. They, they can never keep this under wraps, right? Government, yeah. I mean, an event on this scale, like the Manhattan Project, is an example where the government did do exactly that. Right under our noses. They kept all of this shit secret until they fucking dropped the nukes on Japan. Spoiler alert. (laughs) We won. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this is up there with like moon landing, JFK, 9-11, the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand. Like these events are major historical turning points, if you will. Yeah, but I feel like it's a little different in this case. Okay, because they're develop they're developing nuclear weapons. They're not. I mean, until they actually dropped them, you know what I mean. Like but even not, the development is an insane. They're not killing someone in the process. Oh, actually, I guess they were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll but, find out. <laughs> but I mean, it's not like they assassinated a president to fucking develop a nuclear weapon. Yeah, well, they didn't assassinate a president to get onto the moon, did they? Well, did they get onto the moon? Well, that was... uh, Let's go with they did. Let's go with they did. Play along. That's a major uh, turning point in history. Do we need to do a moon landing episode? I think we could. (laughs) We'll we'll pull the uh, Instagram followers, the Loyal Legion. Okay. I mean, I'm just saying, this is up there with a major event of this caliber. Well, see, now you got me thinking that we go back to the whole aliens thing. Like, if the government is telling us about this stuff now... What aren't they telling us about? Little we'll see, boy guns? Well, see, this is what I'm looking at it as. as When you think of conspiracies like JFK and the moon landing, 9-11, those are events that happened and then become conspiracies after. Like This was all the development that went into dropping those bombs in Japan. And then they were like, well, where the fuck did this come from? Surprise. Well, yeah, I mean, this was more on the level of Iran-Contra where it was a conspiracy okay, yeah, that was proven to be real. Okay. So that's what I'm. That's where I'm... It's on that level. That's essentially what I'm getting at. Did that just cut out? No, it did not. Now, that's essentially what I'm getting at. It's just this is a major historical event. Now, again, this operation was huge. Um, there's a ton of stuff to get to, so this will essentially be a highlight reel, uh, you know, because um, I, I did initial drafts of this outline, and a lot of it was like, okay, I thought maybe it'd be interesting to discuss the science of a nuclear bomb, how right. a nuclear bomb is made. That's probably not <laughs> good Well, no, I'm not saying an anarchist cookbook over here, how to make a nuclear bomb. That's what it just sounded like you said. I feel like we'd get shut down. No, I'm saying, like, that's interesting, right? Like, how does a nuclear bomb work? That is interesting. Okay. How to make one is probably... So I start drafting that up, and it sounds like a goddamn science paper. Mm. You know, not well. It basically, is not entertaining and dry. for our loyal legion. Sure, sure. If that's what I'm getting at, so this is basically going to be a highlight reel of the Manhattan Project, outlining key events, uh, and of course, getting to the best, or I would say worst, um, stories. Because disclaimer, right up top, guys, this is honestly, I'm thinking in my mind, the darkest we've ever gotten, probably will ever get. If I'm being honest. Mm. Darker than Loch Ness. 
<laughs> that's a cryptid. So this is a little bit darker than that. Although uh, darker Crowley, than opening up a fucking portal, Mister Crowley, drinking period blood and raping. I think a little bit darker than that. Um, okay. Wow. So I mean, you know, without further ado, let's hop right into it. Let's hop into yet another history episode. This is like the um, Parson Saga rocket science. You know, like I said, I want to do more scientific stuff, Einstein type shit. It's very scientific. I won't get into all of that. Yeah, and honestly, surprisingly, this story is just as connected with UFO lore as the events of the Parson Saga, um, if not more so connected. You know, I mean, check out. Like we said, again, check out the Parsons Saga for more details on that. But we will get into it. And also, when I say history episode, guys, I'm talking the real history. It really happened. Well, not only that, but this is <laughs> this is the stuff they leave out in U.S. History 101. This oh, is, weird, because it just sounded like you said that we missed that day. But now you're saying <laughs> okay, that they left it up. That he's going okay, into. Rob, well, hear me out here. <laughs> okay. Hear me out here. I'm saying, yes, you learned about the Manhattan Project. But I don't this, think I did. But the stories, okay, maybe you didn't. Maybe you missed class that day. Maybe you were in the bathroom that day. But we are getting into the stuff that is swept under the rug, out of sight, out of mind, because nobody wants to admit that the U.S. government was capable of some of these events. Let's set the scene. The time is at the tail end of 1938. The world is on the brink of the Great War. Germany sits idly by, planning, scheming, planning, scheming. Lotioning, oiling. (laughs) Superman made his first appearance. So um, During April in Action Comics number one, ballpoint pins are just introduced at this point in history. What a time. Adolf Hitler, Time Magazine's Man of the Year. (laughs) Is that true? That's true. Man of the year, most imp- like most impactful, not like the best man of the year. <laughs> he printed that shit off and hung it in his office. <laughs> I mean, dude, look it up. Adolf Hitler, Time Magazine, Man of the Year, oh, 1938. God. Think about it. This, this was isn't before- like Big Lebowski where he has like the Time Magazine. No, this is the mirror. No. Dude, think about it. This is pre-invasion of Poland. Oh, this God. was when Hitler was a great man. No, oh. <laughs> Hitler was when uh, he was when he was. You know, he was. The the forefront of Germany at the time. He was bringing back the economy. Um, now, around this time, so, you know, that's what's going on, just to get you guys in the zone. And um, now, around this time, due to breakthroughs in nuclear fission, uh, which, you guys familiar with nuclear fission? Oh, yeah, but uh, let's just pretend our loyal legion isn't. Okay, that's basically splitting an atom. So, And we're not talking about our very own atom. I was no, going to say not. that happened last night. So you were split. You were split. <laughs> he was getting pegged last night, guys. <laughs> he was getting split open. Okay, so early research. Nuclear fission, basically splitting an atom. So there's breakthroughs in nuclear fission by German scientists, and at this point, a door was open, and the development of an atomic bomb became a theoretical possibility. Now, fast forward. Can we just all right? Like my see, my brain does not work like that. Like these guys are just sitting around going, "Hey." We can blow shit up. Well, that, that's, we could also take it to a whole nother fucking level. I don't think they were initially trying. Now, again, we could destroy a whole country. <laughs> again, I'm not a scientist, but I don't think they were initially trying to create a bomb. They just 
it was breakthroughs in well, like an energy nuclear source, fission. Right? Yeah, yeah. Idea, it was okay. just they were saying, hey, this can happen by this way. Now, again, I'm not a science guy. I didn't look too deep. I perused Reddit, explained like I'm five a little bit. <laughs> but sight. even that was over my head. Now, so basically all you need to know is, is breakthroughs in nuclear fission at this point. I mean, physics, you know, we'll get into the science of it. But fast forward to August of 1939. And we have the Einstein-Sillard letter. Now, this is drafted up and addressed to President Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Uh, this letter was written by Leo Sillard and signed by Albert Einstein. And again, this was it was only signed by Einstein to prove that Leo just wasn't a, some crazy nut. You know, give him some sure, credence. Sure. Because I think about this. 1939, like science... And correct me if I'm wrong, if you guys know a bit more about this, science is like relatively new, right? would like, you say? You got like the Curies just discovering mm. like radioactive shit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, 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 I mean uh, think about like- uh, I we're, think science as we know it is relatively yeah, That's what that's I'm true. saying. Like yeah, modern yeah, okay. science is just forming now. That's in the 30s? Okay. Yeah, like um, like think about it. We Like Parsons was right around this time and they didn't even think rockets, like they laughed at him for wanting to create rockets. So- like the science and physics behind like nuclear stuff, like, and especially like back in the day, like FDR, these like hardline military guys, like Patton, MacArthur, like it was basically these guys versus these like scientists who they were like, you know, shit through a ghost. It's it's Patton. Like he doesn't give a fuck about these science guys. He's pocket He's protector fucking, wearing nerds. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. that's a, like, so you had these like hardline military guys and then you've got the scientists of the day. Now this letter basically told of a new field of physics that was uh, showing that the element uranium could undergo nuclear fission um, with the resultant release of a great deal of energy more or less warning that Germany might be well on their way to developing atomic bombs, urging the U.S. to start their own nuclear program. So August, they write the letter. Now, what happened in September of 1939? Leave my people alone. Just what happened? What could have happened that the president would be distracted? Well, Germany decides to invade Poland. So... The president's a little preoccupied, not able to read every letter that's coming across his desk, <laughs> you know? And also up until this point, as we were saying, Nazi Germany, they're not the evil as we know them as today. Does that, did that make sense? They're not the evil well, yeah. we know them as today. But we were, they just invaded Poland. Well, well yeah, yeah. At I mean, that moment, yeah. Well, yeah, there was concerns, there was red flags, there was warnings, but... A lot of what went on, especially just the sheer numbers, concentration camps, Holocaust sort of stuff, like that didn't really become widely known until after the war. Sure, everybody was like isolationist at yeah, that time, right? and I mean, that was very like compartmentalized within the SS. And so when that happened, like the president automatically isn't like, oh my God, Germany's going to take over the world. But again, there was concerns, there was red flags. So the letter's written in August. Roosevelt finally gets in in October. And as these fear, like as the war goes on and these fears became more realized, uh, the U.S. took steps to accelerate the research of Enrico Fermi and his colleagues who were already looking into nuclear chain reactions and trying to acquire stockpiles of uranium ore. As according to Fermi's research, uranium 
would it provide a possible source of bombs with a destructiveness vastly greater than anything now known? Now, some consider uh, Enrico Fermi the father of the nuclear age, as he did win a Nobel Prize in physics in 1938 for the discovery of new elements related to, at the time, unidentified fission process. But he also has an interesting paradox. Check out our episode on the Fermi Paradox for more on that. So we're fucking in the weeds of it now, right? The letters cross the desk. Now, few people at this time even believed the idea of an atomic bomb was possible. Some put the odds of success at 100,000 to 1. Even Fermi himself said their chances of success were remote. And one of the biggest problems that they ended up facing, what do we think that was? One of the problems that we're all facing, boys. As <laughs> the weight. Uh, you know, in order to be an effective bomb, it had to be small enough to fit in a plane or at least some type of transportation. Now, Einstein originally thought they could at least transport this thing by boat and, you know, blow up <laughs> a lot of shit. But I think, like, one of the biggest problems they ended up facing in the, the duration of the Manhattan Project was making this thing small enough to fit inside a plane, be carried by plane, because obviously that's the most effective use of this thing. Am I right? Right you are. Now, Roosevelt, oh, FDR, polio, we call him. No, we don't call him. (laughs) You might call him that. So he took these warnings uh, more and more seriously as time went on. And within a month, he had organized a research committee known as the Briggs Advisory Committee. To explore the matter. Now, out of the Briggs or Bach. Yeah, out of the Briggs committee came the S1 Uranium Committee. Suck. <laughs> <laughs> Some call it that. And by 1942, S1 had fully evolved into the Manhattan Project. Now, Roosevelt chose the Army to run the project as opposed to the Navy at the time because the Army had more experience with management of large-scale construction projects. You know, as we'll find out, most of the cost, uh, manpower, um, was around construction. I mean, they basically had to build secret towns for this shit. So most of the costs lied here, not making the actual bombs themselves. Now, he also agreed to coordinate the effort with that of the British And on October 11th, he sent a message to Prime Minister Winston Churchill suggesting that they correspond on atomic matters. Now, again, this goes back to the manpower thing. Um, Think about it. This was the days before uh, cell phones. Days before, (laughs) (laughs) days before email. 1939. (laughs) Days before email. So most of the shit they're doing is by way of letter because they didn't want the radio transmissions getting intercepted. So they got to do all this shit by letter. Now we've I get no, stuff. We've been intercepting some radio transmissions tonight, boys. That's true, man. And my shit gets intercepted in the mail all the time, man. What do you mean? Like I have stuff. weed. No, yeah, because I get that in the mail. <laughs> no, man. Like Maybe you're sending it. Maybe. I'm just kidding. The I don't get you on a list. Yeah, erase that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's the Alco inbox. I don't know, man. I'm just uh, supposed to have stuff coming in and it never shows up. And are you then talking I get, about email what or actual spo- yeah, mail? What like actual saying? mail, dog. 
Like it gets lost in the mail. What are you supposed to have coming in? No, like like letters and stuff. People be like, "Hey, I sent you a letter." You got a letter? Like, oh, yeah. What the fuck? Y'all are you don't talking? get mail letters in the fucking mail. Do y'all not check your <laughs> mail anymore? I, I don't. Not I don't, like waiting at the mailbox, yeah, and expecting. I and I don't have, have stuff coming in. Yes, you do. You get shit shipped to you all the time. Yeah, that's a package. Okay, not, what if someone intercepted your package? That's never happened. Never once. No. Even That's with false. all them packaged, oh, you remember really? how many times we had to go back to the old apartment because you sent it there on accident? Well, that's that's uh, on okay. my well, end. Uh, all right, that's well. not somebody didn't intercept. Well, it that. got intercepted because we went there and yeah, the lady remember didn't that happen. lady's dog ate it or whatever. Okay, this isn't on me. What is your? <laughs> you have. <laughs> we're not saying it's I, on you. What if the fucking mailman loses a letter between DC and England and the Germans find it? Exactly. That's why they. That's what I'm saying. That's the they, whole point I'm trying. To make. <laughs> there we go. And you guys act like I'm crazy. No, I'm just saying you're crazy for having letters that you expect. You from guys God don't knows still where. send letters to people. Send postcards when you go places. Postcards, maybe, but they've never been intercepted. You don't know that. Okay. Wow. <laughs> you don't know that. So now the UK. Now at this time, the UK they already had a, a strong nuclear project going, known as Tube Alloys. Hmm. Great um, name. Yeah, code name, little code name, throw them off no the trail. No one would ever figure that one. Exactly. Like a they wouldn't. <laughs> they wouldn't. Now, uh, they had already been underway. Uh, the Tube Alloys Program in Britain and Canada was the first nuclear weapons project. Also called TAP. Yeah, ever to exist. And due to high costs and the fact that Britain was fighting a war within bombing range of its enemies, Tube Alloys was ultimately absorbed into the Manhattan Project by the Quebec Agreement with the United States. Now, the two nations essentially agreed to share nuclear weapons technology and refrain from using it against each other or against other countries without mutual consent. Mm. Now, thus... Well, that's nice that they asked for consent. <laughs> yeah, Very the, important nowadays. Now, there we have it. So, the, Man- the Manhattan Project came to life on September 17th, 1942. Now, the top dogs... Uh, We got from, so from 1942 to 1946, the project was under the direction of Major General Leslie Groves of the U.S. Army Air, of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Um, Now, this is, again, a real fucking badass MacArthur Patton type general. They just don't make them like they used to. Exactly. And then um, nuclear physicist J. Robert Oppenheimer was the director of Los Alamos Laboratory, which is where the actual bombs were designed. And there we have a picture of the two gentlemen right there. So, with General Leslie Groves put in command, the project was up and running. Now, before Groves entered the project, they had struggled to get funding. They were given $90 million to build uh, Real struggle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I, I think that's adjusted for inflation, though. 90. Well, I got 90 mil, but we've been struggling. <laughs> well, what I'm saying is they were, so they had to build four nuclear plants with that 90 million, okay. and they had struggled to do anything with it. Now, the project was given the same priority rating as just a basic run of the mill TNT factory. Uh, so every request they made was basically put on the back burner. Now, within two days of joining the team, Groves scared the administration into giving the Manhattan Project the right to be given the highest urgency possible whenever they asked for it. Now that you're talking about this guy in the fucking Indiana Jones hat over here was scaring people. No, No, that's 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 Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. 
Keep up, keep up. Keep up, come uh, on. <laughs> but see, that's a scary thought, man, because what if this was some like Hydra-esque infiltration? Hell, Hydra. Yeah. Well, as we'll find out, it likely was. Oh, God. Okay, so now in total, the project included over 30 different research and production sites, but it was chiefly carried out in three secret cities, Hanford, Washington, Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and Los, Oak Ridge boys. Yep, and Los Alamos, New Mexico. Now, 12 days after he had joined the team, Groves had bought 56,000 acres of land in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, in order to enrich uranium. Now, keep in mind he was struggling at the time. <laughs> well, they were struggling before he came <laughs> aboard, if you listen to what I said. Um, now, the farmers who lived on the land were just kicked off their land with little money and without any explanation. Str- struggle's real, dude. I mean, this is pretty much the American way, right? <laughs> It's pretty much still how it is. <laughs> exactly. Ever heard of eminent domain? Exactly. Just fucking, oh, need this to enrich uranium. Fuck you. Get the fuck out. No explanation. And um, that's the government. We already got your money, so fuck you. <laughs> now, a private school in Los Alamos County, New Mexico, was seized to create the Los Alamos National Laboratory. And there, a team of the nation's top physicists, including Enrico Fermi, Ricard, or Richard? Dick. <laughs> Call him Dick. That looks like Richard in your notes, dog. Richard Feynman and the appointed leader and crowd favorite, <sighs> J. Robert Oppenheimer. Uh, this is where they would meet to conduct scientific research and design and develop the actual bomb itself. Or I guess we should say bombs, plural. Bomb, 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 bomb. <laughs> I don't think you can say bomb on a plane, Greg. Now... Let's get into the secrecy. So, of course, all details of the project were kept extremely secret. Now, the Einstein letter had been kept secret. Uh, the Briggs Committee, the S1 Committee, they had been kept secret. The secret. 130,000 plus participants of the Manhattan Project had been kept secret. Even the actual detonation of an atom bomb as a test run, had been kept secret, which we'll get into shortly. That seems like a pretty big thing. To <laughs> exactly. No one saw, saw uh, the fucking no, we'll, Oh, we'll get into what they explained it as and, and how they kept it secret. In uh, 1945, a Life magazine article estimated that before the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombings, probably no more than a few dozen men in the entire country knew the full meaning of the Manhattan Project. And perhaps only a thousand others even were aware that the work on atoms was involved. Basically, in this article, they said that uh, more than 100,000 employees were working with the project. Basically, it was super compartmentalized, like we talked about in the Area 51 Mm. episode. Like, you're just here to do a specific job, look ahead, blinders on, like a fucking racehorse. You're not looking at anything else. And if you see anything else, fuck you, basically. That's how it was. Kind of like when he goes, when Iron Man goes back in time. It's kind of like one of those projects. Mm, yeah, I guess. Maybe a little bit. I <laughs> mean, all these guys just fucking clock in, go work on some bomb shit, and then clock out. Don't yep, ask any and questions. they're working on just their thing. No fucking questions. You see nothing. You say nothing. You hear nothing. You know, shit like that. Now, the press was even restricted in its reporting. Uh, nothing related to atomic fission was allowed in newspaper pages. 
uh, an issue of Sunday Evening Post released an article that simply discussed the science in general, and the military forced them to withdraw it. Oh, I would love to get my hands on that article. Like, I'm just picturing like an old black and white cartoon with like a mouse-like character smashing atoms with a hammer kind of thing going on. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it was a cartoon. No, but that's what I envisioned in my head of like okay. there. You know, if I'm living in the 1930s, 1940s, splitting you atoms. Don't know that's what. what yeah, 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 yeah. I still I don't, don't know, know what the fuck that is. Yeah, I don't know what they are. You don't know what they are. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> now, in Los Alamos, security was tightest of all. Uh, even the scientists whose letter had started the Manhattan Project, Einstein and Sillard, were all but barred from entering. Einstein <laughs> was even cut out altogether. The military ruled him unfit to handle highly secret matters in connection with national defense, issuing a military memo that declared, Professor Einstein is an extreme radical connected with extreme communist activities. Again, Dan Aykroyd. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I can do. All he can do is a Grinch. Now, okay. So again, we got to remember, this is a different time. The whole communist thing was taken extremely seriously. Sure. Sure. I mean, Yeah. 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 Look at what happened in Europe with fascism. And this was basically in the span of a few years, it seemed, to people on the outside, you know. I mean, people or I guess we should say governments we're scared shitless of these ideologies. And I mean, hell, we're still fighting ideologies to this day. Sure. Ideologies are some of the most dangerous things in existence. People are afraid of what they don't know or understand, man, definitely. And these, um, I mean, communists, shit like that, like they thought, oh my God, this is going to take over the whole country. This is, again, like I said, umbrella containing a bunch of crazy stories. This is one of those crazy stories. So let's get to the... You guys ever heard of old Gene Tatlock? I think that's how you say the name. Gene Tatlock. Gene, Gene Wilder, Tatlock. though. I know him. <laughs> okay. This is another Gene. So this is the story of Gene Tatlock. She was a uh, f- psychiatrist and physician, uh, also a known member of the Communist Party of America, as she wrote for the Western Worker, a Communist Party newspaper. Now, her and old Oppenheimer... They had similar political views back in the day, and they were banging it out. You know, they hooked up. The political views or each other? Each other. They hooked up. They met because of the political views. Now, they hooked up, and uh, Tatlock ended up breaking up with Oppenheimer in 1939. However, they continued seeing each other after he had become involved with Kitty Harrison. Kitty Cat? whom he married in November 1st, 1940. Now, obviously, this contact with a goddamn communist became an issue. Sure. As he's working on one of the most secret projects to ever exist in the United States government. Sounds like that's not the only thing he's working on. Now, throughout the development of the atomic bomb, Oppenheimer was under investigation by both the FBI and the Manhattan Project's internal security team for his past associations. And Kitty Harrison, probably. Well, actually, I don't think she really gave a fuck. <laughs> Probably had that pussy juice. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, now, he was followed. So he was followed around by, uh, I mean, Oppenheimer. I think he fucking loved the pussy juice. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> clearly. He married a woman named Kitty. You know he loves it. And then he's banging out Gene on the side. 
old Gene. These scientists are fucking insane um, playboys. It's purely for the sake of science, though. It is. Now, okay, so he's under surveillance by the FBI and the Manhattan Project. Um, now, he was followed by Army security agents during a trip to California in June of 1943 to visit Tatluck, whom he likely banged out. Now, he was, uh, a Tatluck at the time was suffering from depression, we'll say. Wasn't getting enough of that vitamin D. I guess not. Ola Oppenheimer wasn't enough for her. Now, on January 5th, 1944, her father arrived at her apartment and there was no response to his ringing the doorbell. He climbed through a window and found her lying on a pile of cushions in the bathroom with her head submerged in a partially filled bathtub. Now, there was an unsigned suicide note, which read, I am disgusted with everything. To those who love me and help me, all love and courage. I wanted to live and to give, and I got paralyzed somehow. I tried like hell to understand, and I couldn't. I think I would have been a liability all my life. At least I could take away the burden of a paralyzed soul from a fighting world. Now, the ultimate ruling on her death was suicide, motive unknown. Mm. Now, in the coroner report, it was found that Tatlock had eaten a full meal shortly before her death, and she had taken some barbiturates. However, not a fatal dose. Traces of chloral hydrate were found, a drug normally associated with a Mickey Finn, uh, when combined with alcohol. But there was no alcohol in her blood, despite damage to her pancreas that indicated she was a heavy drinker. Based off that rationale, it is likely that she knelt over the bathtub, took chloral hydrate, and plunged her head into the water. That's what they want you to think. Mm. Exactly. Now, we need a shirt of your face that says that's what (laughs) they want you to think. Okay. Now, there has been... At times, speculation by historians and even Tatluck's brother as to whether her death was truly a suicide. Sounds like that guy, the, what was that guy's name? The just Epstein? Yeah. Suicide? Mm. Oh, yeah. Suicide mm. by two gunshots to the back of the head. So <laughs> <laughs> this is something like. <laughs> I know there was some spi- suspicious circumstances. Now, the theory is obviously that she was murdered by intelligence agents working for the Manhattan Project. You know, can't have Oppenheimer leaking any info to this broad he's banging, uh, who's a communist, mm. a known mm. communist. Um, one doctor even observed that if you were clever and wanted to kill someone, this is the way you would do it. So, fellas, uh, if you have one of those stage five clingers, just mention that she's a communist. Get her off your back. Well, this isn't the 1940s anymore, teabag. Or is it? <laughs> we can't just fucking go around killing everybody with barbiturates. Now, uh, that's how we do it nowadays. So this is just like, I thought this story was just interesting to throw in. I mean, that's a little crazy side note, you know? Mm. And I mean, this again goes back to the communist thing. If she was in fact killed by the government, they're taking this communist stuff very seriously. Now, even the counter ops, like the Manhattan project was also charged with gathering intelligence on German nuclear weapons projects. Um, so through Operation Alsos, 
Uh, Manhattan Project personnel served in Europe behind enemy lines where they gathered nuclear materials, documents, and rounded up German scientists. Now, despite all of the Manhattan Project's tight security, Soviet atomic spies still were able to successfully penetrate both Tube Alloys program and the Manhattan Project. Mm. So despite all this security, Merck and commies, they still fucking got their way in there, you know, doing research, which probably likely led to the arms race in the Cold War. Mm. So... You know, not to get too deep into the science stuff, let's get into some of the weapons developed. Now, two types of atomic bombs were developed concurrently during the war. A simple two wars, <laughs> two bombs. Now, a simple gun type fission weapon and a more complex implosion type nuclear weapon in order to detonate plutonium. In what would be known as the Frisch Perils Memorandum. So this memorandum was basically the first technical exposition of a practical nuclear weapon. Uh, this was written by two expat German physicists in March of 1940 while they were both working for Britain during World War II. So in this memorandum, it is written that... The energy liberated in the explosion of such a super bomb is about the same as that produced by the explosion of 1,000 tons of dynamite. It will, for an instant, produce a temperature comparable to that in the interior of the sun. Now, I will say they were a little off on uh, that estimate. Not necessarily the interior of the sun, more like the surface of the sun. Still hot as hell. Yeah, we'll get into that a little bit later. Now, they also warned that a nuclear bomb would emit radioactive material that could that wind could spread around the world, and they were trying just to explain how horrific these results could be. And in that, they claimed... Even for days after the explosion, any person entering the affected area will be killed. So let's just keep working on it, guys. So, so, I mean, that was just a warning of what this type of weapon could be. Now, by 1944, the scientists were well on their way to developing this thing. And, of course, they got to test it out. Oh, of course. You got to do a test run, right? Sure. Now, let's get into the Trinity test. So... The search for a suitable test site began in May of 1944. Now, the site needed to be a couple things, all right? There's a couple things they need. It needed to be relatively flat, needed to be isolated from populated areas, and close to Los Alamos. So a section of land near Alamogordo in south-central New Mexico was chosen and codenamed Trinity. And it is in this spot... On July 16, 1945, at 5.29 a.m. Mountain Time, a plutonium bomb known as the Gadget was detonated and the world would go on to enter the nuclear age. The explosion created a crater which measured nearly 2,400 feet across and was equivalent to about 20,000 tons of TNT. The blast itself climbed to heights of 8,000 feet in a matter of a fraction of a second. The shockwave of the atomic bomb ripped from the inside of the empty desert in New Mexico all the way to Albuquerque. The heat produced was hot enough to vaporize steel. Okay, at 5.30 in the morning, nobody noticed this big-ass explosion. Hey! We'll get into right. it. We'll get into it. People notice. You bet your ass people notice. I was going to say. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, nuclear physicist Herbert J. Anderson uh, and a driver and his driver inspected the Trinity blast site shortly after the bomb had detonated, and he announced that the area had turned into a sea of green as a layer of small glassy beads covered the crater. This substance is known as trinitite. Makes sense after Trinity. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's cool, man. Let's just blow up an area and you get a element named after you. Well, I don't think it's an element. It's, material. It was glass material. from, it, like the sand was turned to glass from the heat and people took this as souvenirs even though some of it was still pretty radioactive. <sighs> and then I think it was like bulldoze in 53 so you can't really find too much of it and it's legal to take stuff from the train to test site today. Well, hey, you know, when you go rush area there? 51. No, I haven't, but hey, there's a lot of um, fake... Trinidad on the market, so watch out for it, guys. Oh, yeah, I'm really going to go buy some. Well, hey, people collect this shit, man. <laughs> now, uh, hey, man, it really brings the room together. Physicist Kenneth Brainbridge, who witnessed the test, said, <sighs> Now we're all sons of bitches. <laughs> <laughs> but it is perhaps Robert Oppenheimer himself who had the most famous quote of all, claiming, Two people. Laughed. Few people cried. Most people were silent. I remembered the line from the Hindu scripture, the Bhagavad Gita. Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. I suppose we all thought that one way or another. The line from the Bhagavad Gita. Now I am become death, destroyer of worlds. Crazy for that one. Now back to the whole like secrecy, keeping the shit under wraps thing. So T-Bag, as Great you were movie, saying. by the way. <laughs> T-Bag, as you were saying, <laughs> civilians notice bright lights and a huge explosion. Now perhaps the most notable account that I found was that of Georgia Green, who was being driven to Albuquerque for class at the University of Mexico by her brother-in-law. At 5 a.m.? Well, maybe the class was like 7. She's driven up Commute, to Albuquerque. Sure, yeah. sure. Um, when the blast went off, she asked, what was that? Now, why is this so notable, you might ask? Well, Georgia Green was blind. Whoa. <laughs> You just dropped an atomic bomb on my brain, dude. Even a blind woman in Albuquerque noticed the blast. <laughs> now, uh, Maybe her other senses were heightened. I don't know. Even a blind I mean, even uh, that uh, that's a little crazy to me. Even a blind lady noticing the blast. So Groves, so uh, obviously people see this. Now, uh, Groves, the general in charge, he had the second Air Force issue a press release with a cover story that they had prepared weeks before. On July 16th, the commanding officer of the Alamogordo Army Air Base made the following statement. Several inquiries have been received concerning a heavy explosion which occurred on the Alamogordo Air Base Reservation this morning. A remotely located ammunition magazine containing a considerable amount of high explosives and pyrotechnics exploded. There was no loss of life or injury to anyone, and the property damage outside of the explosive magazine was 
negligible. Weather conditions affecting the content of gas shells exploded by the blast make it desirable for the Army to evacuate temporarily a few civilians from their homes. So, hey, you know, we just left a little can of uh, explosives <laughs> laying around, just went off. We did. <laughs> yeah, just a couple of them. No one died, so it's fine. Hey, just a little bit of explosive, a little box laying around, went off. Uh, don't, don't worry about that glass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So uh, that was remotely located. (laughs) Yeah, we just keep ammunition out in the desert. So uh, yeah, so that just went off. Uh, Not a big deal. It's hot Uh, out here. Don't worry. (laughs) Blind lady saw the blast. (laughs) So by this point, they knew they were fucking onto something. They knew they had something big. Um, Now, many of the scientists who helped in the process of producing the bomb were against its use and argued to the end that the bomb should not be used for ethical reasons. Business ethics. Now, there was also a fear of the impending arms race that would develop. However, many other scientists felt, hey, the U.S. isn't attacking Japan. We're defending ourselves on a country who attacked us first, i.e. Pearl Harbor. Was Um, it over? When the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? <laughs> Hell no. And it ain't over now. Uh, so an atomic bomb was considered. So, yes, there was the scientists arguing, hey, we shouldn't use it for ethical reasons. This is going to start a whole fucking world of trouble. A um, world war, you might say. <laughs> yeah. Or there was there were scientists saying, hey, this is the bomb to end all wars. Nobody's going to want to fuck with us after this. Um, okay, but this is still... <laughs> this is like you come in and dump a water... But like a cup of water on my head while I'm sleeping, and I go in and like just take everything out of your room and like reassemble it on the roof or like kill your wife or something. Like that's what I feel like, dude. Yeah, it's like uh, <laughs> it's like strings CK. all over your room, <laughs> yeah, make a dummy out of your clothes. We we took it to like a whole another level. Yeah, it, like yeah, <laughs> it's like uh, so. There's both. There's arguments on both sides for this thing before we actually dropped it, and. Um, some were saying, hey, an atomic bomb was a, uh, a primary alternative to the land invasion of mainland Japan. You know, I, I saw somewhere that, like they manufactured like hundreds of thousands of purple hearts just in preparation for the invasion of mainland, mainland Japan. Um, so despite all arguments for or against the bomb's use, less than 30 days later, the bomb was put to use on August 6, 1945. The first atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima, and three days later, a second was dropped on Nagasaki. Hmm. Um, now, Little Boy was carried by the B-29 bomber Enola Gay and dropped over Hiroshima on August 6, 1945, resulting in the immediate or delayed deaths of nearly 140,000 people. And on August 9th, Fat Man was released from another B-29 over Nagasaki, and it is estimated that anywhere from 39,000 to 80,000 were killed in the Nagasaki bombing. Now, Japan surrendered unconditionally on August 15th, 1945. It took them a whole nother week to... to <laughs> well, I mean, that's, didn't they threaten Tokyo after that, though? I'm not sure. I think sure. that's why they surrendered. Yeah, I mean, I know that they dropped the initial one on Hiroshima and the emperor, like they gave the emperor surrender terms and he was like, fuck, no, I'm still not surrendering. And then they dropped the one on Nagasaki and he was like, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Give me a week. Let we'll me sleep on it. it. Don't now, drop another one. Now, after the bomb went off, Hiroshima was transformed 
for a brief moment into a vision of hell. Uh, when Little Boy exploded 750 yards above Hiroshima on the Monday morning, a great light filled the sky. A deafening roar rolled across the city as the speed of the blast was twice as fast as the speed of sound. 80,000 people were instantly vaporized, some creating what are known as nuclear shadows. Up to 40% of the population was dead, two-thirds of the city destroyed in an instant. Fires burned at 7,232 degrees Fahrenheit. But the experience of the survivors in the immediate aftermath is some of the most disturbing accounts known to man. And this, guys, this is the stuff that has haunted my dreams for the past few weeks. Because I've been reading these accounts. Those that survived the immediate blast were instantly dehydrated due to the heat of the bomb. This caused a mass panic of people running frantically in search of water. So now, Sabio... Sorry for the butchering of the Japanese name. Uh, now, this is an account from a 20-year-old university student on his way to morning classes. Now, was he also blind or? He was not blind. Oh, not yet, Not anyway, before. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. Now, he says he remembers hearing a loud bang and being blown into the air, landing 10 meters away. He regained consciousness to find he had been burned over most of his body. His shirt sleeves and trouser legs had been ripped off by the force of the blast. There were people crying out for help, calling after members of their family. He says, I saw a schoolgirl with her eye hanging out of its socket. Ugh. People looked like ghosts, bleeding and trying to walk before collapsing. Some had lost limbs. There were charred bodies everywhere, including in the river. I looked down and saw a man clutching a hole in his stomach, trying to keep his organs from spilling out. The smell of burning flesh was overpowering. Jesus. Now, Charles Pellegrino wrote a book Related called... Related to Sam Pellegrino? I don't think he is. <laughs> but he wrote a book called The Last Train to Hiroshima, and uh, he researched thousands of eyewitness statements. And a little disclaimer, it actually did come out that some of his sources were unreliable, but from what I read, that seemed to be mostly a guy who claimed to be part of the Enola Gay crew who is not. So a lot of the accounts in this book, I mean, if you get your hands on this book, it's actually out of print now, but it's a very interesting book. And uh, one of the horrors witnessed by survivors that he writes about were the ant-walking alligators. Now, these were creatures of the blast that were said to be neither human nor animal, neither living nor dead. Hmm. says they had once been human. When the sky exploded, they had the misfortune to survive. The skin on their faces had been seared from their skulls, leaving only a black leathery substance without eyes or features resembling the skin of an alligator. Jesus Christ. All that remained was a red hole where their mouths had once been. They staggered about on the outskirts of Hiroshima, avoided by other survivors. The real horror was the sound they made. According to the book, he says the alligator people did not scream. Their mouths could not form the sounds. The noise they made was worse than screaming. They uttered the continuous murmur like locusts on a midsummer night. One man staggering on charred stumps of legs was carrying a dead baby upside down. Now, none of these people survived for long, and in most accounts of the bombing, they are not mentioned at all. 
But these accounts, all these survivor accounts, I mean, you can read horrible survivor accounts all over the web. And these accounts are a reminder of the human costs of our victory in war. And these reminders uh, of these accounts are ones that we should not as members of the human race, if anything else, allow ourselves to forget. I mean, I mean, we're living in the post-nuclear world now, you know? Groves said, after the bomb was dropped, he said to Oppenheimer, you built the weapon which ended the war and thereby saved countless American lives. Einstein, on the other hand, he was devastated. Hundreds of thousands were dead, and he couldn't see anyone else but himself to blame. Uh, he even went on to say, Had I known that the Germans would not succeed in developing an atomic bomb, I would have done nothing. Now, Oppenheimer even grew to regret what he had done. He would spend the Cold War fighting for an end to the nuclear arms race, uh, fighting so strongly for peace that he would end up facing the House Un-American Activities Committee on charges of being a communist. <laughs> because that's exactly how we treat our heroes. What, what is that famous line that's like, heroes in war, but then uh, fuck you? Something like that? <laughs> I think that's how it goes, <laughs> yeah. Abraham, well, Abraham Lincoln, right? No, that's not the exact line, but it's like, uh, what is that fucking line, dude? It's like, um, hold on, I'm going to look it up. You either live long enough. What is, I just watched Batman the other night. <laughs> you die a hero, you die a hero or hero live long, long enough to see, see yourself become, become a villain. villain. Yeah. It's actually a Jay Z quote. <laughs> become an American hero, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like some about it's like some about being a hero in a time of war, and then it's like, oh, this guy is a fucking hero. He helped us create the bomb, and then we're gonna fucking cast him aside like Tuesday's. Oh garbage. man, that's the whole thing. And like, Look what happened war. to John McCain? R.I.P. What the fuck? <laughs> like in Gundam Wing, dude. It's like, all right, we need these soldiers. And then when the war is done, you just cast them aside, dude. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's exactly how it is. It's just like the Oak Ridge shit. Mm. Oh, hey, farmers, we need the land. Get the fuck out. <laughs> here's, a, here's a couple shekels. It's <laughs> a little f- different, though. This guy farmers was a fucking heroes. hero. He helped us develop. Well, is he a hero? Just, hey, do we want to get into the morality? Let's finish right. what you got. Let's finish what you got. Okay, okay. Let's finish what I got. Now, no, this is my whole thing. Now, if, if you guys want to get into the morality, we can after this, if you have anything to say, because I've been thinking a lot about this. I've been reading. Think about it. I've been going through old-timey photos of Japanese people nuked to oblivion, Ugh, alligator uh, burned people. skin, charred to their bodies, uh, horrible photos. of this? Yes, there are pictures of oh, this. Oh, you're sick. Um, now, I have been looking at these pictures. That's why I'm getting at. Mm. And you can hear That's me out here. That's what I'm getting at. You can hear me out here. Um, I mean, if we want to argue the whole morality of the bomb, I mean, every thread I went on, every post I read, it was, hey, we dropped the bomb. And then it was, oh, we shouldn't have dropped the bomb. Oh, Pearl Harbor comes up. Oh, Japanese war crimes come up. Oh, uh, the Nazis, you know. If we want to get to the morality of the bomb, nobody wins here. This is not a positive thing. You know, war is a horrible thing. Uh, This should serve as a reminder of one of the darkest times in human history, I would say. I mean, this is hand in hand with the attacks on Pearl Harbor, the Holocaust, 
Japanese war crimes, the Bataan Death March, uh, the bombings of Dresden, the bombings of Great Britain, the Eastern Front as a whole. All of this stuff is not good. It should not be compared to one another. This should not be a status quo of this versus that. This is all just bad stuff. Those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Exactly. Mm. And I mean, for one, you know, it's not even worth arguing the morality of the bomb. You know? I mean, there's a reason it hasn't been used again in a war since, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's true yet. Now, a few things I wanted to get into after the actual use of the bomb, because after the bomb was used, uh, the Manhattan Project kept going. Um, so and why wouldn't it? <laughs> why wouldn't it? I mean, yeah, the, the Russians hacked us again. Shout out to Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, the Russians had hacked us before. Uh, so they had their hands on what the else is new? codes or whatever. Marilyn Monroe was sucking off JFK for the codes. Nice. Um, <laughs> for nuclear codes. <laughs> yeah. Those fucking codes. Now, let's get into this. So this is, um, I, again, like we said, umbrella filled with interesting stories. Um, so it's kind of like that Rihanna song. Yeah. The accidental death, um, known as what was known as the demon core. It's a type of metal, also. which which yeah. caused oh, yeah. <laughs> like metal core, <laughs> demon core. Yeah, that it's actually probably black metal. <laughs> <laughs> probably. So uh, now, honestly, here, here we go. Hear me out, guys. Let's let's get off the black metal joke for a minute. <laughs> I'm frankly shocked um, and surprised that more scientists didn't die in this way. Like, like accidental explosions. Yeah, think you, about that. They're fucking of. around with no nuclear shit. <laughs> they're fucking around with nuclear shit and they have a deadline. They're in a fucking war zone saying, I mean, not in a war zone, but they're in the time of There's war. You guys need, Leslie Groves is over there. You guys need to get me that fucking bomb. You know, they're fucking under an urgency of work and extreme. Well, you think they're going to tell anyone about that? Like, well, well, a couple scientists died today blowing themselves up. Well, I guess that's true, but it would have come out in the declassified documents like these deaths, which we'll get so? into. They probably hid some stuff. Maybe, but I'm just saying, I'm surprised that more scientists didn't die in this way. The first guy we got, um, so Harry Daglin. This guy was a fidget... Sounds like a porn star. Harry Daglin. <laughs> this guy was a physicist <laughs> age 24. Um, he was the first scientist to be killed by what became known as the Demon Core. Uh, during an experiment on August 21st, 1945, Daglin was attempting to build a neutron reflector manually by stacking a set of nine-pound tungsten carbide bricks around a plutonium core. He was moving the final brick over the assembly. Neutron counters alerted Daglin to the fact that the addition of that brick would render the system supercritical. Now, uh, super critical, that's like bad news. Um, as he withdrew his hand, he dropped the brick onto the center of the assembly. And since the assembly was nearly in the critical state, it acts, the accidental addition of that brick caused the reaction to go immediately into a prompt critical region of neutronic behavior. This resulted in a criticality accident. 
This dude is basically playing like nuclear Jenga. Yes. Okay. I mean, essentially, I mean, th- this is what I get into with both of these accents. So Moving this bricks. guy, he reacted immediately after the dropping the brick and attempted to knock the brick off the assembly without success. So he's just hitting a fucking full on radioactive brick. <laughs> And he was forced to disassemble part of the tungsten carbide pile in order to halt the reaction. Now, Dolgan was estimated to have received a dose of 510 REM. 10 REM, I think, is fatal. Jeez. <laughs> um, it's like, I think uh, that's what I was reading. I mean, I honestly don't understand a lot about this. Maybe if you guys are scientists out there, you can enlighten me. But this guy received a dose of 510 REM of neutron radiation. Now, despite intensive medical care, he developed symptoms of severe radiation poisoning. He fell into a coma and died 25 days after the accident on September 15th, 1945. He became the first known fatality caused by a criticality accident. It was radiation poisoning. <laughs> Jesus Christ. This is a, this is a fucking American <laughs> hero right here. And how do we treat our heroes? <laughs> exactly. Like this guy's a hero because he's fucking dropping bricks in the lab. This dude is playing Jenga. This guy's weaving your blanket of freedom, dude. <laughs> That's what they want you to think. <laughs> Again, the classic line. Okay. I'm going to release the truth for you. All right. So next up, we got Louis Sloten. These are made up names. <laughs> Is that how you would say that? Louis Slotin. <laughs> Louis Slotin. I don't know. <laughs> Louis Sloten Slotin. Forgive me. Uh, Louis Sloten. Uh, this was a physicist, age 35, yet another criticality accident with the same core that killed Daglin, thus spawning the nickname Demon Core. Now, he was played by John Cusack in the film Fat Man and Little Boy, which is a god-awful rendi- <laughs> oh, yeah. rendition of the Manhattan Project. It's just like super dramatic. I mean, check it out, I guess, but it's a pretty bad movie. <laughs> the Rotten 20- Tomatoes over here. <laughs> now, on the 21st of May, 1946, with seven other colleagues, Slotin performed an experiment that involved the creation of one of the first steps of a fission reaction by placing two half spheres of beryllium, which is a neutron reflector, around a 3.5-inch diameter plutonium core. Now, Slotin grasped the upper beryllium hemisphere with his left hand through a thumb hole at the top while he maintained the separation of the half spheres using the blade of a screwdriver (laughs) in his right hand. Very scientifical. Yep, as the shims normally used were removed. So, number one, let's not fucking do nuclear experiments (laughs) with a fucking screwdriver, (laughs) Slotin. This guy's holding a nuclear core with a screwdriver blade. (laughs) For all you young (laughs) physicists out there. Maybe let's put the shims back in there, Lewis. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So at 3.20 p.m., the screwdriver slipped and the upper beryllium hemispheres fell, causing a prompt critical reaction, a burst of hard radiation. At the time, scientists in the room observed a blue glow of air ionization and felt a heat wave. <laughs> Basically, all these guys were immediately fucked, especially Lewis. So it's like he drops this thing and just 
boom, a big flash of just bright blue goes off, and they feel the heat from this reaction. Now, Sloten himself experienced a sour taste in his mouth and an intense burning sensation in his left hand. Ooh. He jerked his left hand upward, lifting the upper beryllium hemisphere and dropping it to the floor, ending the reaction. He had already been exposed to a lethal dose of neutron radiation. Sounds like the first time this guy found a epi- uh, magazine in Perfect 10. Never mind, just cut that out. It's <laughs> <laughs> funnier in my head. This is what uh, Hal was telling us about dinner. at dinner. Remember the story he was telling us? No. Okay, well, this is that guy. No, okay. um, so as soon <laughs> no. as uh, as soon as Sloden left the building, he vomited a oh, common yeah. reaction from exposure to extremely intense ionizing radiation. Now, Sloten's colleagues rushed him to the hospital, but the radiation damage was irreversible at this point. Four days later, four of the eight men exposed during the incident had been discharged from the hospital. Okay, Dis- at that point, I feel like you're either like, well, boys, it's over, or you're getting superpowers, right? That's how it has to work with this stuff. I mean, I guess it's e- well. See, I think he was the only one close enough to just basically be completely fucked. Well, yeah, he's got the damn screwdriver. Yeah, I mean, these other guys were like, I mean, he was right there holding it. These other guys were um, probably a couple feet away, so they were all right. Hey, Sloan, use a screwdriver. <laughs> now, <laughs> Now, despite intense medical care and offers from numerous volunteers to donate blood for transfusions, Sloten's condition rapidly deteriorated. Over the next four days, he suffered an agonizing sequence of radiation-induced traumas, including severe diarrhea, reduced urine output, swollen hands, and redness of the skin, Uh, massive blisters on his hands and forearms, intestinal paralysis, and gangrene. He had internal radiation burns throughout his body, which one medical expert described as three-dimensional sunburn. By the seventh day, his lips turned blue and he was put in an oxygen tent. Ultimately, he experienced a total disintegration of bodily functions and slipped into a coma. He died at 11 a.m. on May 30th, 1946. Uh, so pour one out for this guy. Now, after his death, uh, criticality experiments were effectively put on hold until new safety guidelines could be devised. Like maybe not using a <laughs> screwdriver <laughs> so, to fucking support this shit. Now, let's get into the fallout. So again, I mean, we talked about the scientists using this shit, um, its effects on humanity, you know? The, let's get into the fallout. Now, the government would go on to deny the Manhattan Project for years after, and the complete files, uh, the documents, the story commissioned by Groves was declassified as recently as 2014. Um, So have you guys heard of this film, The Conqueror? Not until today. (laughs) So The Conqueror, this was a big-budget film about Genghis Khan. Makes sense. Who was played by John Wayne. (laughs) Happy Thanksgiving, Pilgrim. (laughs) So there's... uh, Picture of John Wayne as Genghis Khan. I mean, who else better to play the part? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, now this this film was shot in the Utah desert in 1954. Uh, parts of the film were shot in Snow Canyon and other parts in the Utah desert, about 137 miles downwind of the United States government Nevada National Security Site. Uh, these sites received the brunt of nuclear fallout from testing in this period. 
So were these guys about to rush that or? What do you mean? Is this like Area 51? Oh, no, they were, they were just actively filming there because the government said it was okay. The government said it was okay. <laughs> yeah, the government said we could do it. I so, said it was okay. After the Second World War, uh, so this is a little history of like testing. Um, so uh, obviously they're testing at Trinity saying, hey, we just left a box of explosives out. Um, <laughs> after the Second World War, testing shifted into the Southern Pacific Ocean on the grounds of public That's safety. Right. Yeah. Yeah, let's we'll just, just test uh, it in, blow the, the ocean. in the ocean. No chance it'll wash ashore. It's um, like Bikini Atoll and all that. Yeah, got it, exactly. Got it, got it, got it. Oh, see, you do know a little, a little bit, bit about A little bit, a little bit. See, you're holding out on me, T-Bag. Ah. Now, the war in, with the war in Korea escalating um, and, you know, rivalry with the Soviet Union, this shifted it back to the U.S. mainland for greater security. So the Atomic Energy Commission, which ran the nuclear program, selected a government-owned bombing and gunnery range in Nevada, partly because winds would blow radiological hazards away from Las Vegas and Los Angeles towards virtually uninhabitable land, Mm. downwind to the west, um, (laughs) home to ranchers and Mormon communities, because who gives a fuck about them, am I right? This is where they get You guys want to shoot a movie out there? Yeah, should be fine. Yeah, so... uh, from 1951 to 1962, the AEC detonated more than 100 nuclear bombs. Officials said the canyons and dunes around St. George, a remote, dusty town where the film was shooting, were completely safe. Uh, we don't know this for a fact, but uh, we're going to just say they're safe. Well, no, they just said for a fact, this is safe. <laughs> and if I you mean, hear any explosions, <laughs> it's probably just some ammunition exploding out in the desert. <laughs> so... Um, now, there's a picture from this film of John Wayne and his sons with a Geiger counter. <laughs> um, now, this Geiger counter is said to have crackled so loudly that Wayne thought it was broken. The star, by all accounts, shrugged it off. Who gives a fuck? It's fucking John Wayne. <laughs> uh, now, The Conqueror <laughs> was seen as a cinematic failure, but became infamous in, as the film which allegedly killed John Wayne. Um, Dick Powell, who was the director of the film, got lymph cancer and died in 1963. The same year, Pedro Armendariz, a Mexican actor who played Khan's right-hand man, shot himself after being diagnosed with terminal cancer. Jesus Christ. Susan Hayward, who was the leading actress, died of brain cancer in 1975. Yikes. And by the time John Wayne succumbed to stomach cancer in 1979, now again, John Wayne did uh, chain smoke up to four, four to six packs of cigarettes a day. So maybe that was playing <laughs> some effect to it. Um, however, his sons, Patrick and Michael, both battled and survived cancer. Um, in 1980, a People magazine article reported that of the 220 cast and crew members, 91 had contracted cancer. 46 of them died. Now, what are we thinking here? Don't drink the water in Utah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is possibility. like possibility. Maybe. I mean, there's still extreme controversy. There's a couple lawsuits, I think like pending. Um, but there is a lot of a controversy as to whether these actual results are attributed to radiation or not. There's a lawsuit pending from the fifties for cancer. <laughs> well, I mean, just in, in case of this, cause I mean, think about it. Most of these people are dead. So it's their families that are going to be suing the government gotcha, for gotcha. lying to them. But I mean, this oh, is, that's not going to stop. them. <laughs> I mean, interesting case nonetheless though. Am I right? 
Oh, yeah. All of these, as we talked about, all these, like, the government saying it's safe, like, all these towns and communities that were downwind of this stuff, these people nowadays are known as downwinders. (laughs) Um, This became the name given to tens of thousands exposed to fallout due to government nuclear testing. Y'all seen that, uh, I've, I don't know what network it's on, Chernobyl? It's a series, TV series? Oh, that's HBO. Yeah, is that HBO? Okay, see? And they're all talking about how basically all that nuclear radiation got in the air, spread over Europe. <sighs> Downwinders. Downwinders. Yep, now Tina Cordova, uh, she grew up near the Trinity site in southern New Mexico where scientists tested the bomb. Uh, she's been documenting cancer among thousands of residents and their descendants who live nearby. Uh, she believes that all of these stories will be lost to history uh, because they've made Trinity and Oak Ridge into mm. national parks. And they um, have museums there that are talking about, oh, my God, this bomb, like we made the bomb, the story of the bomb. But she's saying, hey, you're leaving out what, like, the cost of making this sure, bomb. Sure. I mean, you know, she says, we've put our families and our friends in the ground for this, and we're completely written out of the history. Oh, imagine that was your job, though. Check out how shitty the government is. Come check out this park. I mean, hey, guys, maybe let's have a little plaque in there. Maybe the government could suck it up and admit that they were wrong. Is that too much to ask? It is. (laughs) It honestly (laughs) is for the government. He's honestly Um, asking. Okay, now, okay, the bomb itself, I think the ant walking alligators and some of the survivor accounts are most, probably the darkest stuff. Oh, yeah. That's going to haunt my dreams tonight for sure. Okay. Now, let's get into the radiation experiments. Radiation. So since the discovery of ionizing radiation, a number of human radiation experiments have been performed to understand the effects of ionizing radiation and radioactive contamination on the human body. Specifically, these experiments are carried out with the element plutonium. Jesus Christ. Yeah, okay. How many people do you have to test to find out radiation, human beings, not good. I know. Can we not just do this on rats, U.S. government? <laughs> Jesus fucking or Christ. Or just, just, just fucking study the people that you already bombed the fuck out of? I mean, so all of this, like, came out. Um, and this was a lot, like, during the Clinton administration. Oh, wow. Um, there was, like, a policy that led to the release of over 1.6 million pages of classified records. Um, and these records made clear that since the 1940s, the AEC had been sponsoring tests on the effects of radiation on the human body. Uh, American citizens who had checked into hospitals for a variety of ailments were secretly injected with varying amounts of plutonium and other radioactive materials without their oh, That's great. <laughs> Yeah, so that, there you go. Let's go to a hospital. That's a great idea. Uh, now, much of the information about these programs was classified and kept secret. In 86, the United States House Committee on Energy and Commerce released a report entitled American Nuclear Guinea Pigs, Three Decades of Radiation Experiments on U.S. Citizens. <laughs> Numerous human radiation experiments had been performed in the United States many of which were funded by various U.S. government agencies such as the U.S. Department of Defense, the U.S. Atomic Energy Commission, and the U.S. Public Health Service. Now, these experiments included feeding radioactive material to mentally disturbed children, mentally disabled children, enlisting doctors to administer radioactive iron 
to impoverished pregnant women. That's nice. Exposing U.S. soldiers and prisoners to high levels of radiation. Irradiating the testicles of prisoners, which cause severe birth Jesus defects. Christ. Exhuming bodies from graveyards to test them for radiation without consent oh. of the families of the deceased. <laughs> <laughs> this is the United States government we're talking well, about. Here. How fucked up can we get, guys? Exactly. Is that so what this test is about. You know what, man? You've already crossed this threshold where you've dropped this bomb. Like, how much dark? How much worse can you get? I mean, I <laughs> guess you're <laughs> right. They, they already themselves. dropped the bomb. <laughs> let's just see how. So it's these scientists sitting in a room. Hey, guys. How crazy can we get with this stuff? Let's just start digging up bodies. Let's start. let's start giving pregnant women. Fucking plutonium. Everybody come up with the most fucked up thing you can think of. And we'll do and we're it all. put it in a bowl and we'll just pull out nine <laughs> yeah. every week. Now, <laughs> now, hear me out. I mean, it gets worse than this. Oh, um, man. Now, these experiments were not limited to hospital patients. Um, these experiments included other populations such as orphans fed irradiated milk, uh, children injected with radioactive materials, and prisoners in Washington and Oregon State prisons also given, you know, these radioactive materials. Now, from April 10th, 1945 to July 18th, 1947, 18 people were injected with plutonium as part of the Manhattan Project. Doses administered ranged from 95 to 5,900 nanocuries. Um, don't know what the fuck that is, but I mean... Shout out to Marie Curie, sounds like, man. I mean, let's not inject people with plutonium. Yeah, that too. <laughs> How about that? Now, this is this is like one of the most fucked up cases I found. So, Albert Stevens, this guy was misdiagnosed with stomach cancer, and so uh, so right off the bat, they misdiagnose him. He does not have stomach cancer. Bad news, right? And there. they said, "Hey, we're going to give you treatment <laughs> uh, for your." Are you winking? Cancer. Uh, at UC San Francisco Medical Center in 1945. Now, Dr. Joseph Gilbert Hamilton, a Manhattan doctor in charge of the human experiments in California, had Stevens right. injected with PU-238 and PU-239, which is different forms of plutonium, without informed consent. Stevens never had cancer, and he lived for 20 years with the injected plutonium. Yikes. Since Stevens received the highly radioactive PU-238, his accumulated dose over his remaining life was higher than anyone has ever received. Uh, 64 SV or 6400 REM. As we said, the guy died with 510 REM. 6400 REM. Uh, neither Albert Stevens nor any of his relatives were ever told that he never had cancer. And they were led to believe that the experimental treatment had worked. So this guy never has cancer, injected with plutonium, and, um, oh, hey, uh, yeah, fuck you. Don't give a fuck. Government never said he's none the wiser. Wow. We're just going to try some uh, experimental testing. <laughs> yeah, so, You're going to uh, die anyway. Oh, looks so. like it worked. Great. Great, it worked. Go home. Go, you can go, go home. So, a little word to the wise. Um, maybe, let, I mean, we can't even trust hospitals at this point. Eastern medicine is where it's at, people. Exactly. I mean, drink. Uh, 
drink some kombucha. some kombucha. Matcha. Yeah, make some golden milk. Um, Ooh, yeah. Eat some turmeric, and you're good to go. A little now, ginger in there. Real quickly, I just want to discuss a few of the conspiracy theories with you guys. Get your thoughts on that. Sure. So, again, we talked about this one being connected with UFO lore, and this will be a little preview of our next episode. Because we couldn't rightfully do our next episode without prefacing it with this. Because when we created this nuclear technology, as we said, this is when the aliens said, hey, look, these guys have nuclear shit. We need to fucking uh, do something about this. We need to go down there and visit them. And then we got the fucking Roswell crash in 47. Okay, well, let me pick your brain on this. Okay. Is this like uh, Prometheus bringing us fire? Exactly. I was, mm. yeah, exactly oh. like you were discussing on our Foo Fighters episode, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were saying maybe the aliens wanted us to have this technology. Maybe so they what? gave it to us. Yeah, they yeah, bless yeah. Einstein with this. Maybe they helped Einstein write this letter. Abducted him, gave him some ideas. <laughs> yeah, or Einstein's like Adam waiting for these letters that he's never getting. <laughs> okay, now again, some people also say the Manhattan Project was not the nuclear bombs at all, but it's an underground bunker under uh, Central Park in New York City where they have alien species living. Um, they say Hitler was um, given asylum there. Uh, a lot man of shit of the year, like that. You know? Yeah. Men in black status right there, man. Yeah. Okay. What are we thinking there? Highly unlikely. Yeah, you guys have spent more dive in. into that. Yeah. Now, uh, and then another... Now, this is the last one we'll get into, but... So another conspiracy theory is the atomic bomb itself. Those bombs we dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, those weren't atomic bombs. That was just a fuckload of dynamite. Because who knows what an atomic bomb even is. We just said we had the atomic bomb to scare the fucking yeah. Russians. I mean, do you know, like, how would you know would, what yeah, an atomic bomb is? How do you know that's not just a fuckload of TNT or some other fucking um, Yahoo science experiment? Yahoo? Yeah, that's a good point, man. Maybe it is like some of all fears just trying to, hey, man, if anybody steps out of line, we're going to blow your country up, but then they can blow our country up. Everybody just better be cool. Okay. Remain calm. Those were the major conspiracy theories I could find surrounding the Manhattan Project. I mean, most of them seem to stem from from aliens saying, hey, they know how to split an atom. We need to go down there and, and fuck them up because that messes with space-time. Sure, sure. Or it's not even an atomic bomb at all, and we just said that to scare the Russians, which plays more into the whole like one-world government uh, Illuminati-type conspiracies. Okay. Another episode to check out if you have not already. Yeah, but in my humble opinion, I'm saying this is probably when... Some of the greys said, hey, these guys are splitting atoms. Let's go fucking see what they're fucking around with. And this is when these guys crashed at Roswell due to mm. some extenuating circumstances, which we'll come to find out. And, um, I mean, there you have it, Manhattan Project, one of the most fucked up uh, times in humanity. Yeah. And the results, absolutely devastating. Um, and let's hope we don't fucking ever have to use that shit again. Am I right? Amen, brother. I heard that. I wish I didn't hear that, but I just heard that. I mean, what do you guys got on the Manhattan Project? How, how, TLDL, what do we got for Teabag's Idiot Report? (laughs) 
Uh, basically, a government operation to harness the power of nuclear fission to blow shit up. The government makes boom booms. That's it. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> this is what how I'm working can, with. How can you oversimplify? Under, I, <laughs> okay, that, that's what we got. That's what you got term, from the entire The government episode. makes nuclear bombs, drops them on Japan. Results are devastating. Devastating results. Okay, what there we have Ethics, it. man. Straight from Teabag's mouth. <laughs> um, so there you have it. I mean, Manhattan Project. Uh, real quickly, I wanted to cite allthatisinteresting.com. Uh, on the Manhattan Project, uh, ushistory.com, uh, nuclearsecrecy.com, How to Die at Los Alamos by Alex <laughs> Wellerstein. Absolutely fascinating article. He actually goes through like all the deaths, even like construction and shit, mm. which is actually very fucking crazy. A lot of people died from construction. Just the title has yeah. got my attention. And um, uh, the book, The Day the Sun Rose Twice by... Fernick Sazaz. Check that out um, for more info on the Trinity test. And there you have it. I mean, Manhattan Project. Um, this is, as we'll f- come to find out in our um, episodes after this, this plays a big role in that. So uh, stay tuned for the next episode. And on that, as always, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, if you ever want to get in contact with us, as you know, we're on the gram. Hit us up, podcast from outer space. Or if you want to shoot us an email, if that's your preference, podcast from outer space at gmail.com. And as always, we got the website up and fully functional, podcast from outer space.com. Be sure to check that out. Grab yourself a t shirt, maybe some stickers to go with it. Yep, we got uh, some new sticker designs on the way. I will reveal those shortly. Uh, also, We've been getting some of the uh, episode requests, um, and we've taken those into consideration, uh, working on putting those together. we got a couple more in the queue to get out before we can get to those, so uh, bear with us. And on that, so long, and thanks for all the fish. Fish.